Hello, horror fanatics. I'm Frank. And I'm Jen. And we welcome you to our weekly podcast. Oh, the horror. Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts. You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to our email address at oth at seriouslydecent.com. And you can visit our website at ohthehorrorpodcast.com. You can do those things. <laughs> if you so... Choose. Be inclined, yeah. If you so choose. Yeah. Here we are. We are. One week later, back I, the feel, <laughs> I feel excellent, and you've got a wretched back. I do. Did you do 40, 40 year old things to get a bad back today? Uh, Were you just being 40? You know, it was either taking the instant pot out of the box mm-hmm. or scratching your foot, doing the laundry. Yeah. Uh, Inhaling deeply. Yep. Going to the bathroom. Yeah, because that's how you hurt your back after 40. Yeah. Yeah. Just doing things. Looking in the wrong direction i've cricked a neck like that yeah 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 i don't i i I don't know what i did one of these days if i'm being honest i think it was sitting on the love seat could be one of these days we're gonna be combined great well you're gonna be great i'm gonna be great right it's gonna happen before the year ends i hope so if not we got something to strive for in the yeah. new year. Well, one of us will be strong. I, <laughs> At least one of us. I returned to work today. I was like, well, we'll just see how this goes after vomiting for days and days upon end. I, I'd like to get caught up <laughs> with the podcast, like ahead. Yeah. Like we've, like we've been. But, yeah. but hey, you know, you this know. is a saying out to everybody. Life happens. It does. And sometimes you just got to let life happen. You can't force it. And uh, and you just kind of rebound as best as you can. So here we are, Saturday evening. Doing before, the best that we can. Before the drop on, on Monday. Yeah. And uh, you're going to chillax tomorrow and I'm going to work. And then I'll edit it the night before. Yep. It's back to the beginning days. And here we are. Yeah. Back at the beginning. It happens. We'll come around. Black Dahlia. Yeah. Yeah. We threw this in as an audible. We did. This has, I guess we should just call it infamous because at the end of the day, it's what it is. I think it's probably the the most infamous murder case in U.S. history. Unsolved murder, yeah. Unsolved mystery. Yeah, yeah. Unsolved murder. Unsolved mystery. Unsolved murder mystery. (gasps) I think also what makes this pretty popular is that it happened right after this is like the first big like unsolved case and big murders in post like world war two. Yeah. Cause everybody was all happy. Things yeah. were all good. Yep. And then this was kind of the, the grounding yep. thing of, wah, wah. yeah, you know, <laughs> you had a year, something like that. But, uh, yeah, no, there's, I think also it's just, it's a weird, it's a, it's a weird case. Uh, it's a it, really weird it case. Really, it it's a disturbing case. Oh, very disturbing. I think what's what's become more interesting than the case itself is the theories. 
Yes. I think that's why this has lived on. Yeah. So my the sources. The theories just get crazy. Oh, yeah. Crazier. My sources are FBI.gov, the Black Dahlia. Mm-hmm. And I actually saved the link to their evidence. Yeah. And it's like letters that people have written in. It's uh, the list of suspects that they had. Yeah. A profile. It, it's It's pretty interesting. So I'll share that link on the Facebook group. And then the other is uh, theguardian.com, a 2016 article, Black Dahlia murder about um, Elizabeth Short. Yeah, because what is it? Uh, at at some point, they um, they interviewed 150 different people There's, that were considered suspects. If, um, if you go on the FBI uh, site, They've got a, a tab, and when you click on it, it's the evidence, the FBI's evidence, and you click on the first one, and it says page one, but you scroll down, and it's multiple pages. Mm-hmm. Same thing with page two. It's a lot of handwritten stuff, uh, pictures, and it was the FBI who actually identified the victim as Elizabeth Short, and Man, you want to talk about an interest. This whole thing is super interesting. Basically, just to show the mag- magnitude of it, there was a total of 750 investigators for this case. Yeah. And in its initial, you know, stages, th- this included 400 sheriff's deputies, 250 California State Patrol officers, mm-hmm. a lot of people. And I, I recall reading somewhere, they uh that's what it was. They interviewed over 150 men in the ensuing weeks that they believed to be potential suspects. 150 people. Yeah. It's insane. So, on the morning of January 15th, 1947, a mother was taking her kid for a walk in LA and she stumbled upon the body of a young naked woman sliced clean in half at the waist. The body was just a few feet from the sidewalk and posed in such a way that the mother thought it was a mannequin, mannequin at, first. at first. Yeah. And can I just say, it's never a mannequin. <laughs> Whenever you come across something and you're like, oh, that must be a mannequin. It's never a mannequin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and despite the extensive mutilation and cuts on the body, there wasn't a drop of blood at the scene indicating that this young woman had been killed elsewhere. Mm-hmm. The ensuing investigation was led by the L.A. Police Department, and the FBI was asked to help. And the FBI quickly identified the body uh, just 56 minutes, in fact, after getting blurred fingerprints via sound photo, which was a primitive fax machine used yeah. by news services from L.A. The young woman turned out to be 22-year-old Hollywood hopeful Elizabeth Short later dubbed the Black Dahlia. Fun fact, it was actually, uh, where is she? I want to make sure I get her name correctly. It was a reporter, Agnes Aggie Underwood of the Herald Express, who is most often credited as giving the moniker too short. Yeah, pretty much single-handedly goes to the press. Yeah. Which the press was fucking so, ruthless and terrible in this thing. Get a load of this. 
Short's prints actually appeared twice in the FBI's massive collection. More than 100 million were on file at the time. Yeah. First, because she had applied for a job as a clerk at the commissary of the Army's Camp Cook mm-hmm. in California in January of 1943. The second, because she'd been arrested by the Santa Barbara police for underage drinking seven months later. Yeah. The Bureau also had her mugshot in its files and provided that to the pre- to the press. So the FBI ran record checks on potential suspects, conducted interviews across the nation. They had several suspicions that the murderer may have had skills in dissection because the body was so cleanly cut. Agents, yeah, because basically the, the body was sawed in half. Yeah, it's actually got a... Plus the there was cuts from the corners of the mouth yeah, to the ears. Yeah, like the, like the Joker. Mm-hmm. She was where it's a hemocorporectomy, a procedure that slices the body beneath the lumbar spine, the only spot where the body can be severed in half without breaking a bone. Mm -hmm. And it was taught in the 1930s. So. So you got to ask yourself, let's just pause for a quick second before we get into the minutia, the investigation and all that. Who would have that type of knowledge for starters? And then who would have the actual ability to do that? Because it's not like, you know, they didn't say anything in the case files where that was attempted and it was struggled. No, it was done. Yeah, it was was a perfect dissection. Yeah. So for me, Mm -hmm. that leaves someone in the medical field. It's hard not to. Be a doctor. A forensic pathologist or a veterinarian. Yeah. You know, any of those. Yeah. Or a butcher because a butcher might know that by both hard not to. By cutting up a a carcass, you know, preparing a carcass. Yeah. But the thing is, it's like there's cutting up a carcass and then there's cutting up a human being. Yeah. It's two totally different animals, by the way. They are two. That's what leads me to it had to be someone in at and medical, least someone with medical knowledge. Mm-hmm. If they weren't actually a doctor, they had to have like studied professor at some point. or a student yeah. or something, something like that. Yeah, because you got to look at the time period. This is the late forties, mm-hmm. and you know there was no internet, there was no YouTube, there was no, no you know nothing of knowledge sharing that's like today. Because mm-hmm. reading this, I had to think about, like, that just threw a red flag up for me Yeah, right away. Mm-hmm. And I look at it like um sidebar topic, but, like, learning guitar today. Like, I couldn't have picked a better time to learn how to play guitar right. than right now. Right. Because the apps, YouTube, tab sites. Oh, yeah. Like, all this stuff. And, and just connecting, like, I get lessons from, uh, I bought, like, from a book and got videos from a guy that, well, he was in California, now he's in Texas. And they're great lessons. Right. But I was thinking, like, back when I was a kid and, like, my friends were learning guitar, they didn't have any of that crap. No. They had literally someone who gave them lessons that they Correct. paid for. Yeah. And then most of the time, probably the parents couldn't keep affording it. 
Right. So then you just get to this point of self-study. Yes. And this is where you're listening to like records and you got to slow them down or a tape and just play the same thing over and over again. And you get, this is why musicians of that era have such an amazing ear because they right. did everything they had by to ear. play by ear. Yeah. But, but now like apps today, like you can learn how to like identify notes just over and over again by listening to it and you touch the note and mm-hmm. like, there's just so many different ways of doing it. And that kind of goes back to like this topic that we're talking about where it's just, it wasn't common knowledge. This is no. like way beyond the scope of common knowledge. Exactly. This is yeah. a very like specified, specific, specialized thing. And like this thing. particular procedure was taught in the 1930s, doesn't say anything about it being taught in the 1940s. So that's someone who would have had to have known about it either from the 1930s or before. You could imply that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Because, I mean, it's it's not like. Hard to know at at that point. But but this is definitely not some of the, like, run-of-the-mill person. The only way it could be the -the run-of-the-mill person is just the luckiest, the luckiest move. Right possible yeah but you can't eliminate that either you know yeah but i mean how would you cut how would you perfectly bisect a body like that yeah no i to me that just is red samurai sword red flag medical if you're the dude on the street sword yeah how you pulling that off how you pulling that off with (laughs) exactly kill bill Uh, Uh uh-huh <laughs> so I guess we yeah. gotta talk. We gotta talk to ninjas, yeah, doctors, right, right, yeah, or butchers, samurais, samurais. Yeah, you don't think yeah. a ninja could pull well, off a samurai sword? Yeah, I guess. No, that's true. You could throw a ninja. Okay, that's ninja, if you could find a ninja. Samurai. They're elusive, you know. Ninjas, yeah. samurais, doctors, or someone in the medical field, mm-hmm. and butchers. Yeah. So we've got four subgroups. We've got four categories of people yeah. that this killer could potentially yeah. fall in. No, and that's And I think we can safely take out ninja and ninja samurai. And samurai, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it just seems like the medical field thing. Yeah. I you know, another crazy thing about this and then we'll get into the the stuff. Okay. I was reading that the and this is where like people talk about how crappy news is today mm-hmm. and the shitty shit that like news Not reporters do and stuff like yeah. that. Well, this is just to show you that shit hasn't changed with the news. Reporters from William Randolph Hearst, Los Angeles Examiner, contacted her mother, Phoebe Short in Boston. Yep. And told her that her daughter had won a beauty contest. It was only after prying as much personal information as they could from Phoebe that the reporters revealed that her daughter had, in fact, been murdered. Do you know the type of sleazeball yeah. that you have to be yeah. to call the mother of, of, a murder victim. of a murder victim that you are well aware that this chick not and, only and has not been murdered, murdered, but murdered in a butchered. most horrific way. Butchered. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, she won a contest. And everybody knows about it in California. Yep. Like it's spreading yep. out like crazy yep. at this point from word of mouth of so people do you being there. Think? And no, and of all things they had to call the mother about was that her daughter won a beauty contest. Yeah. It's like, 
that is this the like the filth of slime of crap. So do you think that was the catalyst for the media not being able to report the name of a person until after the family's been notified? I don't know. By I, authorities? I don't know. I I just know that after reading a lot of past cases of things, the media has been slime. They Will are slime, slime and they're going to be slime. <laughs> yeah. Because it's the whole, if it bleeds, it leads thing. They're in it for them. When they sit there and say, oh, no, we're doing the story. We want to tell the story. Bullshit. You want your name under the story name. You want it titled by you. I got to laugh, like, even with artists with music. And they're like, well, I create the song, and then it's just the baby, and I just let it go. No, you don't. You chase down the rights. Yeah. You say who can play your song and who can't. Because if there's somebody that... for how much money. Yeah, but not even that. Like, if there's somebody that you just don't agree with... Yeah. And they want to play your song, song. You can say, I I don't want you to use my song. I'm not saying you can't, but I'm just saying I don't want you to. And it's like, yeah, yeah, so now it's not about just letting it free and be the... Yeah, yeah. It's not about the art. Yeah. It's not about the music. No, It's the glory. (laughs) Yeah. They're in it for the money. For the money. For all you uh <laughs> for all you fans. For all you playing the drinking game for when we quote a movie. For all you Twister fans out there. <laughs> don't even get us don't even get these two started on Twister. Black Dahlia, take a back seat and we'll just be quoting Twister yeah. all night. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah, I thought I'd bring up that tidbit there where the news was being just so honorable. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, and that it's just slimy filth. I mean, none of this. Was... Well, none of it's good. So, according to sources, <laughs> part of the intrigue with this case came from the unprecedented brutality. Yeah. Of the murder. Yeah. Before she was killed, she was forced to eat feces. Flesh and pubic hair was shaved off her body and insert and inserted into her vagina and rectum. Her uterus was removed, and like you said, the long gashes extended her mouth into an eerie smile. Yeah, what do they call that? Like the Siberian smile or something like that? They got a name for I it. I call it the Joker. Yeah, no, you can do that, but yeah, I think they got a they got a name for it. I I won't remember it, but it's probably Siberian smile. But it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So the day after Short's body was found, the Los Angeles Examiner sold more copies than it had any other day, except when it announced the Allied victory in the Second World War. Mm-hmm. And it was because of the tawdry way the tabloid press covered Short. As a street-walking, sexualized young woman, yeah, there were rumors that she was a prostitute, which were untrue. Untrue. And as a childhood later, uh, childhood friend later recalled, it was just horrible the way she was portrayed. Mm-hmm. So, okay, she got arrested for underage drinking. To all of you out there, who didn't drink when they were underage? I, I didn't drink when I was underage. Oh, no. no. I can see that halo. I chugged. <laughs> I chugged when I was underage. <laughs> yeah. 
fun fact, she was staying, Short was staying at the Biltmore Hotel. And she had a, um, she had been seen alive a few days before her death there. And dozens of threads on Reddit are devoted to discovering the identity of her killer because of this Biltmore connection. Yeah, yeah. There's movies, there's books, there's television shows. Numerous writers have written about her story, not not to mention Agnes, the woman that dubbed her the Black Dahlia. Mm-hmm. She actually did a book as well. Like she she was legitimately investigating and following up and she's oftentimes credited as you know, one of the best sources on the information. That's what they say. Do you think they'll ever solve it? I don't know. I think it's too long. There's, okay, there's a retired L.A. cop who has been, for the last 15 years, gathering data. He, uh, his father passed away and he was going through his stuff and he came across a photo album. And in the very back of the photo album was a picture of a woman who resembled Elizabeth Short. Mm-hmm. So this guy was like, and his father, George Hodel, was one of the original suspects. I was going to say, you're talking about Steve Hodel yep. and George Hill. Hodel yep. his father. Yeah. yeah. And... His father was one of the original suspects. Uh, He was one of the top six that they had. And he's claiming that he's been compiling all of this information. He began investigating his father as a, a cop or slash detective would. He surveyed the case from scratch. He dug through witness interviews, newspaper archives, filed the Freedom of Information Act to retrieve the FBI files on the murder, which is what is listed on FBI.com. It's the Freedom of Information Act. That's what they released to him. Yeah. He sent the photographs that he found in his father's photo album to facial recognition experts. One remains unknown. The other he identified as another woman. A handwriting expert determined there was a strong likelihood that his father's handwriting matched the script on some of the notes the killer sent to the LAPD, Mm -hmm. but the results were inconclusive. And in the archives of UCLA, Steve found a folder containing receipts for contracting work on his childhood home. One of the receipts showed a purchase a few days before Short's murder of 10-pound bags of concrete, the same size and brand found near Short's body that police believe her killer used to carry her. Yeah. And as a civilian, he doesn't have, because he's retired, he doesn't have access to the original police files. And as an officer admitted to him and is only meeting with the LAPD, the majority of the physical evidence has been lost over the years. And most of the witnesses are dead as are the original cops that worked the case. They also in, uh, they revealed notes from a like a 1949 grand jury report that investigators had wiretapped Hodel's home, mm-hmm. and they obtained this recorded conversation of him with this visitor who was unidentified. Right, and it basically he was saying, "Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia, they couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary because she's dead." Yep, that was like some transcription. Yep. Yeah. So basically, at this point. 
what we did is Steve Hodel has three books. He does. Uh, we bought them. Yes. And we're going to read through those books. I They're think we 500 should. plus pages a piece. So we didn't have time to do it. So what was nice about this moment here is we could briefly talk about the Black Dahlia. And then what we're going to do we is just yep. talk about that book. Because I think after reading a lot of, you know, because I read through a lot of the initial theories and things like that. Yeah. And there's tons of them. I think the only one that really holds weight is Steve Hodel's. You know, I, I. For, on the surface. Well, here's the thing. You know, without his reading. His father was a dick. Like he was known, like you went to him. Abortion was illegal at the time. So you went to him for your abortion. Uh, He was cold. He was distant. There are rumors that there are women that died because of botched abortions. Mm -hmm. And all of that was hush-hushed because if word had gotten out that he was performing this illegal procedure, you know, he could lose his license. So essentially anything that connected him to these people that could supposedly die, you know, all that information disappeared. So, I mean, it, a number of the police report hearing that the department believed the culprit was a doctor who lived on Franklin Avenue. And Mm -hmm. that's where the Hodel family lived at the time of the murder. But, you know, it's funny, like, because I'm sitting there reading it, I was like, man, you know, here's a guy implicating his father, which like, that's, that's a strong bit of it. But uh, there was this other woman, Janice uh, Knowlton, and she was 10 years old at the time of Short's murder. And she claimed that she witnessed her father, George Knowlton, beat Short to death with a claw hammer in the detached garage of her family's home in uh, Westminster. She also published a book titled Daddy Was the Black Dahlia Killer. I want to say it was like in the mid 90s. There would have been evidence of that on her body. In which she made additional claims that her father sexually molested her. Right. The book was condemned as trash by Knowlton's stepsister, uh, I think it's Jolene Emerson, and stated she believed it, but it wasn't reality. I know because I lived with her father for 16 years. And additionally, a detective told the Times that Knowlton's claims were not consistent with the facts of the case. Right, exactly. You know, so that's where, that's where I'm saying, like, it's going to be so hard to fit. That's why I asked, like, do you think it'll ever get solved? Because at this point, there's just so much time. We'll that never gone know through. definitively. You're not going to have, like, because at this point. There's there's not going to be a deathbed confession. No, there's no deathbed confession. But the fact is, is you, you, I think cases really run into a rough spot when everybody who is working around it dies. Yes. And I think that's a good thing that it dies out. I say that from a good perspective because those are the fact, the the fact holders. Mm-hmm. You know, you could come up with any kind of theory or something like that, and somebody could just like this detective said, like, no, those weren't consistent with the facts. Right. This wasn't consistent with the case. Now, I think what makes this a a possible idea or theory that they could fig- find somebody is that the FBI has such a, a large so database much, yeah. of, of what you could call facts. But uh, I say we can't, 
they can't ever definitively say no. because there's no physical evidence, so we can't do DNA. Mm-mm. There's there's no more eyewitnesses. There's so aside from finding a journal that says Bob Jones's journal on you know yeah. January Today 15th, I woke up and short was getting it. Yeah. <laughs> they found the body of Elizabeth that I killed the day before. Yeah, and you know, you know, so I mean, and and yeah, that's that's where I think that's what makes these old cases so in, you know interesting to talk about is because you could pretty much talk about any theory on the planet. Well, it's like Jack the Ripper. We're never going to know who yeah, Jack the Ripper no. was either. Yeah, it's exactly true. However, I was impressed. Fun fact: uh, the killer of both were. Jack the Ripper, they they, they were said, saying was either a doctor or a butcher. Or butcher, yeah. Because of how... The, the nature of the yeah. wounds and everything. Yep. Yeah. And here's the other thing, too, just to stay wide open on the concept of it. It could have been some lone nut doctor guy who was clinically crazy. And H.H. Holmes. You know. If, well, no, example, I'm just saying clinically yeah. because, like, like, this is something that you would think they would have had many of. Like with the nature of this, because mm-hmm. I started thinking this definitely has to be pretty personal because it's not done over and over and over again. Right. This just seems like a ritualistic thing that would be done over and over. You would think, right. you would assume it would just follow that type of thing, but it was just one. Right. And, and of course there's others that are probably going to say, no, there's theories that there was some other ones and, right. but not like this. Not yeah. specifically like this, because she had her head, she she was severed in half. Yep. Her legs were propped open, yep. like split yep. open, and and she had her hands positioned behind her head. Yep. I mean, she was posed. Yes, she was. And, um, you know, so there was definitely a, a point to doing all of it. A lot of- And I, getting back to my story, though, is is- it very well could have possibly been like one crazed person mm-hmm. and then that was it. Yeah. I read somewhere in there where she was seeing this married guy. Well, she was seeing a couple a lot of, of people. guys. Yeah. yeah. Which is n- nothing wrong with that. No. But, no. Well, the married guy thing, there's something wrong with that. Correct. Pro tip. Ladies, stay away from married men. Yeah. If you don't it's know that he trouble. was- If you don't know that he was married and then you find out later- no problem. Just fucking leave. Exactly. Because A, he's never going to love you. Because if he if he's cheating on his wife. He'll cheat on you. He's going to cheat on you. Yep. Now, the other way goes around with it with guys, too. Don't get involved with somebody if you're married. Yeah. You know, I'm not just hitting the ladies on this one. Like, just, just stop doing it. Yeah. And ladies. If you're if chasing you're and married, looking. Don't go go out looking for a dude. Mm-hmm. You got one. You married. Yeah, him. and if you don't like that, get out of it. Yeah, exactly. Leave it. Yeah, because this is this is honestly how a lot of murders happen. Yeah, and that's it is. where you know there could be this guy that's not in the story at all mm-hmm. that she was seeing that was married mm-hmm. and she probably wanted more out of it because he's gonna choose me over her. Right. You know, that's, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's a thousand stories like this. Oh yeah. There's a thousand murders like this. There were, uh, rumors that she was pregnant. She wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. It. And that's again where 
this case is just great to talk about that kind of uh, yeah. you can say anything you want and it's well it could be yeah yeah it could be yeah. you know and and you can do this uh you know you could do this forever mm-hmm. and that's what people have been doing since the late 40s it's yeah. talking about it in the same fashion yeah and it's funny because it dies down and peaks back up it does and it dies down and peaks back up and usually that, peaks back up when they make a, a movie or something like that or, or a, a movie book. yeah yeah but I think if we're going to give this any more time on another episode, it's going to be the Steve Hodel books. Definitely. And we're going to read all three of them and revisit. And then we're going to, and then we'll revisit it. Yeah, we'll revisit it. And, and then if you guys want us to keep beating up Black Dahlia, we will. Another theory, uh, John Gilmore wrote a book. And it's funny because they all got books. Everybody's That's got the a funny book. part of it, you know. And it was, uh, this one suggests a possible connection between Short's murder and that of uh, Georgette uh, Bauerdorf, uh, a socialite who was strangled to death in her West Hollywood home in 1944. And Gilmore suggests that Short's employment at the Hollywood Canteen, where Bordorf worked as a hostess, could be a potential connection between the two women. However, the claim that Short ever worked at the Hollywood Canteen has been disputed by others as well. Right, and um, and this is this is like the minutia that it gets into. Right, this is where like like people that think they have their theory of it. It's like you could knock all the theories out. Right. This one guy wrote a whole entire book. Right, the true story of the Black Dahlia murder, and he's basically just suggesting it because two women worked together and they both got murdered. Yeah, um, just yeah. for reference, if you're writing a book and you're making a connection between murders, someone strangled being connected to someone who was bisected, posed, yeah, and yeah. had and, not even the same. And had a body brutalized are two very different yeah. things. And then uh, there was another book, uh, Red Rose, P. Pew Eatwell. And uh, focuses on Leslie Dillon, a bellhop, who was a former mortician's assistant. And his okay. associates, Mark Hansen and Jeff Connors and Sergeant Finnis Brown, a lead detective who had links to Hansen, was and was originally corrupt. Basically, he or she posits that Short was murdered because she knew too much about the men's involvement in a scheme for robbing hotels. Plausible. Maybe, yeah. You know. Uh, she further but why su- cut her in half? She further suggests that Short was killed at the Astor uh, Motel in Los Angeles, where the owners reported finding one of their rooms covered in blood and fecal matter on the morning a Short's body was found. The examiner stated in 1949 that L.A. Police Chief William A. Wharton denied that the Flower Street uh, Astor Motel had anything to do with the case, although its rival newspaper the Los Angeles Herald claimed that the murder took place there. Eatwell is working on a television documentary and a revised edition of her book is due to be released in autumn of uh, 2018. So who knows where that turned out. There's another theory. Buzz Williams, a retired detective with the Long Beach Police Department, wrote an article for the LBPD newsletter, The Rap Sheet on Short's Murder. Williams' father, uh, Richard F. Williams, and his friend Con Keller were both members of L.A.'s uh, gangster squad uh, investigating the case. 
William Sr. believed that Dylan was the killer and that when Dylan returned to his home state of Oklahoma, he was able to avoid ex- uh, extradition to California because his ex-wife, Georgia Stevenson, was second cousins with Governor Adele Stevenson's the second of Illinois, former roommate, <laughs> who contacted the governor of uh, Oklahoma on his behalf. Keller believed that Hansen was the killer as he had studied at a surgical school in Sweden and had thrown elaborate parties attended by prominent LAPD officials. Williams' article says that Dylan uh, sued the LAPD for $3 million, but the suit was dropped. And uh, Harnish disputes this, claiming that Dylan was cleared by police after an exhaustive investigation and that the district attorney's files positively placed him in San Francisco when Short was killed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that ends up being the big problem there is people go on these wild goose chase. And again, like if you're a hobbyist that's investigating this stuff, figure out where they were. Exactly. Before you yes. go through all this work and heavy lifting of all the crap, just just figure out where they were. Where where were they at that time period? Right. And and you know, the cops do this type of work. That's how they produce that's how they get a lot of people out of this stuff. It's cuz they have a concrete alibi. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. they're at another place. But yeah, it's amazing the theories. I love my whole fascination with the Black Dahlia is the theories. The theories just yeah. Get me going every time. I, yeah. It was a very, what intrigues me is the brutality of it. Oh, yeah. Because if this were a serial killer and this was their MO, there yeah. would be more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This strikes me as more of a a personal yeah. murder. Like, this was a rage incident. Like, they just lost it and... The only, the the only other thing I would think of is some sort of gang related type thing where say the father, you know, say the, say the father got into something, you know, either owed money or just something. You mean George Hodel? No. The father of smart. Okay. The father of her. Okay. You know, say, and again, this is not backed by any evidence, but I'm just saying like in order for that type of killing to be staged like that. Mm-hmm. It's either, it's personal one way or another. Right. But it's either personal and someone she got involved with or someone she didn't get involved with who wanted to be involved with her. Or it was or directed. it was directed towards, you know, like I said, say the father was, uh, you know, owed money or got in trouble with a gang. Right. And it was just like, well, we're going to make you pay. And this is know where Whitey Bulger was. And this is how uh, we're going to make you pay. You know, this is what this kind of what gangs do. But again, you also got to look at it, the context of the time and era. Yeah. Like a gang then, I hate to say it. In 1947, they wouldn't have. No, gangs, I'm going to say it for what it is. Like gangs had kind of like class then. Like they just wouldn't do something like that. Right. You know, um, they would maybe beat somebody up or if they did. I mean, because the craziest things gangs got into before that, basically they just shoot everybody up. Mm-hmm. And then there was the whole 60s and 70s, they were bombing cars. Right. You know, so like if you're, you know, if you owed money or say you fucked over a gang of some kind, they would bomb the car mm-hmm. that your family's in or something like that. But mostly they were after the person. Like I said, there was an etiquette there. Right. Which gets back to personal. Yeah. Because I agree with you. If it was a serial killer type thing, right? which I'm not ruling out, 
because say it was a serial killer and then say they got admitted mm-hmm. into a mental ward mm-hmm. that could, or they got arrested or yeah, arrested or like I said, yeah, arrested and got, got killed themselves or just ended up in some sort of mental ward. Cause obviously you got to be crazy to just do this for nothing. You know what I'm saying? If you're of that type of, right. if we're going to talk about that specific type of thing, uh, and they might've just been sitting in a mental ward the whole time. You never know. I know the communication's pretty interesting. Like yeah. in the beginning of the case and that communication piece kind of, uh, where they're going tit for tat with the cops. Do you have details on that or you want me to? I'm going through the FBI records, their vault right now. And it's a lot. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there was a a suspicious envelope that was discovered by a uh, U.S. Postal Service worker, and the envelope had been addressed to the Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles uh, papers, and uh, it had individual words that had been cut and pasted from newspaper clippings. And additionally, a large message on the face of the envelope read, here is Dahlia's uh, belongings, letter to follow. Mm Mm-hmm. And the envelope contains Short's birth certificate, business cards, photographs, names written on pieces of paper, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen embossed on the cover. The packet had been carefully cleaned with gasoline similar to Short's body, which led police to suspect the packet had been sent directly by her killer. Despite the efforts to clean the packet, several partial fingerprints were lifted, from the envelope and sent to the FBI for testing. However, the prints were compromised in transit and they couldn't be properly analyzed. Mm -hmm. The same day the packet was received by the examiner, a handbag and a black suede shoe were reported to have been seen on top of a garbage can in an alley a short distance from Norton Avenue, two miles from where Short's body had been discovered. The items were recovered by police but they also been wiped clean with gasoline, destroying any fingerprints. Right. And to me, that seems like that whole kind of like that was the spot. Mm-hmm. That was the spot where they 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 had to catch someone. I think that was the the most evidence right. they had. The yeah. most things going on. And again, it was the late forties, and that was in January twenty uh, fourth, which was three days later after. Right identification of it but on march 14th an apparent suicide note scrawled in pencil on a piece of paper was found tucked in a shoe in a pile of men's clothing by the ocean's edge at the foot of breeze avenue in venice and the note read to whom it may concern i've waited for the police to capture me for the black dahlia killing but have not i am too much of a coward to turn myself in so this is the best way out for me i couldn't help myself for that or this sorry mary the pile of clothing was first seen by a beach uh, caretaker who reported the discovery to John Dillon, lifeguard captain. Dillon immediately notified Captain L.E. Christensen of West L.A. Police Station. The clothes uh, included uh, a coat, trousers of uh, like a blue herringbone tweed, a brown and white uh, uh, T-shirt, uh, white jockey shorts, tan socks, and tan moccasin leisure shoes. And the clothes gave no clue of the identity of the owner. Mm -hmm. And so basically 
you know, that's when they started going through, through suspects and whatnot. But I think that first bit with the manila envelope, yeah. that was actually like personal items. And so there's an, an article in this FBI vault and it's grisly L.A. murder similar to sex slaying of seven San Diego women. Southern California police officers last night noted the striking similarity between the mad butcher murder of Elizabeth Short, 22, whose body was found here Wednesday, and other unsolved San Diego sex crimes. Officers in the border city immediately feared that San Diego's sadistic woman killer already believed responsible for at least seven unsolved murders was on the prowl again. For 15 years, police and psychologists have agreed that the killer was a sexual sadist whose crimes increased in brutality. By studying the records of unsolved cases, they conjectured that Miss Short, who worked and lived in San Diego could well be the mad killer's latest victim in the most brutal crime of them all. The string of unsolved crimes began in February 1931 when Virginia Brooks, 10 years old, a 10-year-old schoolgirl, school was lured into an auto, raped, and murdered. Her body... She was trussed in a gunny sack and found months later. On April 23rd of the same year, the body of Dolly Bibbins, attractive, well-to-do widow, was found in her apartment. She had been viciously beaten after first being raped. Two weeks later, Hazel Bradshaw, beautiful 22-year-old telephone operator, was found murdered in the Indian village Balboa Park. She had been stabbed 17 times. While still investigating these three murders, police were called to the apartment of Maud Detweiler, attractive divorcee. She, too, had been raped and sadistically slain. There was a three-year lull before the sex fiend struck again. Then, on the morning of March 4, 1934, police found Mrs. Wesley Adams dead, the victim of a killer following a similar pattern to the first three crimes. A month later, San Diego was shocked by one of the most baffling of all sex crimes cases. Hang hanging from a tree on Black Mountain was the nude body of pretty Louise Tuber, 17-year-old. She was a clerk. Mm -hmm. A rope around her neck was tied to the limbs of two trees, but an autopsy indicated she had been raped and murdered elsewhere before being tied to the tree. Before the summer ended, the sadist struck again. Celia Coates, or Coda, 16-year-old high school beauty, was murdered just before she entered her home after attending a movie, she had been raped several times, tortured, and strangled. So incensed was San Diego that the entire police department was replaced, but still no clues to the mad slayer were found. Next, and perhaps most spectacular in the series, was the brutal murder of Miss Ruth Muir, 
uh, Riverside YWCA secretary and daughter of a prominent Phoenix banker. Visiting her vacationing parents in La Jala, Miss Muir walked along the moonlit shore of La Jala on the night of September 2nd, 1936. She had paused behind a lover's bench near the Casa Manana Hotel where the killer sat, sat upon her. Police said they had... I can't. So here's the thing, though: is how do they connect all these people to a single person? Because they're all different. Yeah, each of these. Yeah, each of these. The only thing that's similar is the rape, the sexual assault of the victim before they're murdered. Mm -hmm. Each murder is different, and they're just making the connection that you know this could be the same guy. He's just escalated. Or, yeah, I don't know. That that seems like a stretch. That's though. eight different murderers. Well, but you also got to look at the time period where you could literally murder someone and get away with it. Yeah, it's yeah. not like it is today, where a there's fucking cameras everywhere. Exactly. But yeah. also just the the medical stuff that you've got to dodge. And yeah. DNA is just one of them. I mean, there's right. other medical related forensic things that people can you know, that they can do to track it to you, um, you know, one way or another. Uh, and that's, now they didn't have any of that crap then. Right. And there's also a rumor that she was supposed to be going back home to Boston. Mm -hmm. Like her sister dropped her off at the hotel. She was going to get her stuff. And then her sister was going to pick her up. It was either later that same day or the next day. Yeah. I read that too. To, to take and, her to and, the airport so she could go home. Yeah, and you got to ask yourself, why was she leaving? Yeah. And no yeah. one really knows that. Right. I mean, unless, uh, you know, that's another thing. You know, this is a series of wormholes, this case through here. Yeah. And that's where, like I said, I, I think the person who's got a lot of evidence of this is the books we're going to be getting into. Right. And it's pretty general consensus. Most people that talk about it, he has a lot of the, a lot of the evidence Yes. kind of gathered together yeah yeah we'll 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 do the heavy lifting like we always promise you know and and read read about it and see read all yeah about and, it. No, and just see if it's worth talking about in depth more right you know or we'll talk about it in a couple months and say Either yeah way, you know we'll what? let you know yeah we'll let you know is. you know if it's if it's a waste of time or not right and and this goes back to the whole whole thing of um yeah, it's a different time. Yeah. And you really could murder someone and get away with it. Right. It's, I wonder if Aggie Underwood of the Herald Express, I wonder if she had a uh, a theory, like mm -hmm. if she had a suspect. I think there's tons of them. I mean, there is tons of them now, but, right. but you could never end with it. She was an right. aspiring actress. Yeah. What if she uh, did a, you know, couch call or something like that? Say something happened. Or she saw something she Say she saw seen. something she can't, you know, which is anything in the, L, you know, L.A. area through there. There's a lot of shit that goes yeah. on there. Yeah. I think that's one thing I got to laugh about is like all this crazy shit comes from. Something. L.A. Yeah. You know, a lot of these murders, a lot mm -hmm. of these crazy, they all come from there. Not all of them. I mean, that's a right. very general statement I'm making. But the gruesome, most grisliest ones. Mm-hmm. 
have a posture set in there. And one thing, uh, you know, before we wrap up, mm-hmm. that's more of a current events thing. You and I were talking about how Ghislaine Maxwell is going under trial. Yeah. And I, I'm going to call this out right now. If they actually do some sort of a trial and she doesn't settle, I don't think the victims, the victims that are involved in this, I don't think they're going to settle. I think, I think they got chintzed out with Epstein, quote unquote, hanging himself. And now this is going to be like a trial by proxy is what a lot of them are calling it. Yeah. You know, for, for Epstein, for her, which legally I don't agree with. She needs to be tried as herself. You can't do a trial by proxy through Epstein through here. You lost your chance with Epstein when he quote unquote hung himself. Right. You know, but if she was procuring the, well, the and that's what they're after him. with this. And this is what I wanted to explain people before we wrap this up. The most revealing part of this case is going to be what you're going to learn, what the tactics she used to bring these girls in. Mm-hmm. And it's the tactics she used. Right. Epstein used her. Right. And often you hear it all the time. And of course, guys feel this attack a little more than anybody else. But it's the guy who's the evil one. It's the guy who lured him in. So there's this general rule that women got to keep their guards up with men. Right. And that they got to keep their guards up around men because men are up to no good. Right. I think the revealing part of this case is you're going to see exactly what she did to get these women into there. She used her trust as a female. She used her trust as a woman. That safety that women have amongst each other, she abused that privilege. Well, I don't see that as any different than what Allison Mack did. Well, and that's where that's the big connection I'm making is is it's funny how there's these cults, these leaders of these, these big movements that are men not going to deny it. And they're shitty men. They're terrible men. But the fact is, is they have foot soldiers of either one woman, but usually it's one woman. Yeah. Nexium had Allison Mack. Epstein had Ghislaine Maxwell. Mm Mm-hmm. They were the ones going out and getting everybody. Right. Because the fact is, is no one would have trusted Rainier to go and get all these chicks. Oh, He was no. a homely looking dude. Yeah. Sure, he had the gift of gab and he could get women to go. Where, but that's what all the documentaries, and we're going to do Nexium At some point. Because I want to talk about this specific topic where it's like, these guys didn't get all these women. Right. Smart did. Right. Or Allison Mack. Yeah. I'm confusing the podcast now, but but Allison Mack did. And it's the same thing with Epstein. Epstein didn't go around and get all these women. No. Ghislaine Maxwell did. Right. And that's what people have to keep in sight with this trial. And I hope that that's one of the revealing parts they show is her tactics, which I don't think I, my, I wouldn't, I wouldn't my whole breath. position, well, my whole position with human trafficking is, is you're never going to know what's going on about it because this elite group here yeah. is the ones responsible for all of it. Right. And, and they're responsible for the report. And that's why cetera, somebody supposedly hung themselves in prison. And if you think I'm crazy, go ahead. Think I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't care. That's the whole beauty of it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. But in between the weeds of the stuff with Maxwell's case, if they do go into the depth of it and she starts throwing the dirt of 
yeah, this is how I got women to do this and that because that's what the victims are saying. Yeah. The victims are saying they went through Maxwell. Right. Maxwell yeah. got them in. Maxwell groomed them. Maxwell gained trust. All of that stuff to get them to this ultimate stage of just terrible circumstances with Epstein and whoever the hell he was peddling off these girls to. I hope people can stay trained on that, so to speak. I don't. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, we'll uh, we'll lay off here on your back. You're standing now. I am. But uh, so what do we got next week? We have shadow men. Shadow men. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And we don't know how I feel about that. I I haven't seen them in quite a while. I don't know if I'm opening the door by doing an episode on it, but we'll find out. You know, yeah, yeah. I think it's definitely a good topic to talk about. I think so. I think uh, for people that don't understand it, they can get a bit of an understanding for it. Yeah. I think the ones who suffer from it, they can basically feel maybe a little... Not alone. Not alone or better about it. Yeah. That's that's the aim of the topic. Right. Uh, just to kind of give people a heads up without getting into it right now. Right. But our goal, you know, at least my goal with that is to just, for people that don't understand it, to get an understanding. Right. And for someone who is going through it or has gone through it that they're not alone because right. we're going to bring up examples and yes and theories and yes. all that juicy stuff that we yes. do so all those things all those cool things and you're gonna have a fucking sweet back it's I gonna mean, be in great shape i hope so. i'm not gonna be throwing up or have the flu we're gonna well, be we're gonna be in Great shape for this next one. I so, hope so. Yes. I hope I so. I believe in us. <laughs> I do. So with that being said, rule number one. No Ouija boards. <laughs> rule number two. No dolls. Three. No capes. Four. No blood rituals. Five. No effing cults. Seriously. Yeah, right. Oh my lord, satanic or otherwise or religious lose, weight loss. Yeah, lose weight for Jesus. <laughs> Way down. Or drink this Kool-Aid so we can all die together. Yeah. I'm sorry, flavor aid so flavor we can aid. all die yeah, together. Get it right. Seriously. Just stop. If someone tells you you're in a cult, odds are you're in a cult. If someone tells you you're in a cult, you, odds are you're in a cult, but you want to know the dead giveaway that you're in a cult and it's a simple step. Mm -hmm. Just say you're going to leave. Yeah. And if you say you're going to leave and it, all of a sudden everybody starts distancing themselves from you or there's some repercussion or punishment if you for you leaving. If you say you're going to leave and there's zero repercussions, like nobody even bats an eyelash, okay, you probably were not in a cult. You're not in a cult. Yeah. But I'm telling you, if, if that's your that's your litmus test right there. Yeah. It's, if you are in a group, and this isn't religious, this is no. a political group, no, this, this is, is anything. just a group. Just a group of people. Yes. Four or more. Okay. Four or more people. Uh -huh. You know, no, because after four, you can have a majority that throws a setup against you. Right. Okay. You know, if there's five people and you want to leave, there's four people that are going to fuck with your life. Right. That's how it starts. Okay. You know, that's how the mom momentum gets up. But the fact is, is if you really want to know, or somebody says you're in a cult and you're like, no, it's not really a cult. All right. Then try to leave. Do the cult. Not test. try to leave. Just say, I'm thinking of leaving. Yeah. 
And if you say, I'm thinking of leaving, and then all of a sudden the the resistance comes. Yes. The, oh, are you sure you want to do this? And yep. then, and you're going to lose that group. Yep. You're going to lose that friendship. Yep. You're going to lose yep. all that. If all of that happens as a result of you just saying, I'm thinking of leaving. Yes. You're in a cult. Congratulations. Yeah. You're in a cult and Con- you broke rule number five. Five. So six. No apathy. We've got to act to help and act like, you have to physically act to bring about a positive change in the world. Yes. Pay for the coffee of the car behind you yeah. when you're getting coffee. Especially in the uh, the holiday times now, I can at least say for the states and all that, you know, if you're out there shopping, be nice to the, the clerks, the retail Definitely. clerks. They've been through a terrible two years. And They've been they putting say, up with your bullshit for two years. And if they say happy holidays, it's not a war on Christmas. No, it's not. There's literally eight holidays that happen between November and It's just and somebody being thoughtful. They're just being kind. It's just being thoughtful just and say kind. thank you. Yes. If you want to say Merry Christmas back, have at it. Go on with but your Christmas don't self. don't be yeah. an asshat. Yeah. Just be a nice person. Person. But seriously, shopping, be nice to the clerks. Yes. You you really want to make someone's day in the line, just grab like a, a package of peanut butter cups, pay for it, and just Don't hand it. Don't do peanut butter cups because of peanut allergies. No, I'm just, just giving it as a- something. I'm giving yeah. it as an example. This is the part of being a ween, because here's the thing. Buy the peanut butter cups and tell them if they can't eat them, give them to a coworker, because that mm-hmm. keeps it going. Right. It keeps it going. It keeps it giving. A, your thought was nice because you thought of them. Right. But if they can't have it, just say, hand it to a coworker who does have it. Mm-hmm. This is, see, this is where everybody gets caught in themselves and gets caught in their own eyes and their own ways and their own things. Sometimes just being nice is enough. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. And it really is. Because I work in that type of atmosphere and there's people that buy me things and I'm just... I'm happy about it. Thank you so much for considering or just, hey, thanks for doing this. Right. And I'm going to say this one, too, as a final deal. Stop saying be safe. Yeah. We're done there. We're done with be safe. We are. Especially frontline workers. They've been out on the front for two years now. Yeah. It's not about being safe. They're just doing it to make money. And pay yeah. bills. They don't have a choice to be there. You know, or That's if they do have a choice, they just, you know, they're in this circumstance. Some just want to help, too. Some are helping. But the be safe thing, you know, safe from what? Something that they can't control in getting? That's not being safe. <laughs> Maybe just, you know, you know, be safe when you're driving. Yeah. Nobody says be safe when you're going out for a ride. Nobody, you know, nobody says that, but you got to be Apply safe. Apply it how you want. You got to be safe stocking shelves, you know. I'm sorry. My grape's over. Is it? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is it, Frank? So with all that being said, have a lovely day. Have a great week. Yes. Have a good, I don't know. Hey, have a happy Thanksgiving. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yes. Eat all the food. All of See, it. See, I, I, I mistaken that because I know we're going to do an episode before that. And, you know, that's where I No, was. this is it. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. This is the one that they're all going to hear. So, so yeah. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Mind, 
Make good choices. Take care, folks.